Hallelujah. So amen. Well, I'm excited about this message today. Antoine, I want to tell you that was great. And I really think a lot of the things that, that Antoine was sharing is really going to be a lot of what really what my message is about um, this morning. But that was excellent what you shared today with, with communion. But you know, I wanted to ask the question, um, do y'all believe that we as a society are fascinated with celebrities? As a society, maybe you're not individually, but as a whole, as a society, it's not just America. It's really the whole world that we fascinated with, with celebrities. I would say the answer is a resounding yes. I mean, there's no one. If, if this is any indication, here's some statistics or some, some facts that are brought up here. You know, Deshaun Watson was a, was a quarterback that the Saints were trying to, to, trying to get. But if you go back and if you go look at the contract that he signed, you realize why the Saints didn't get him. Uh, Deshaun Watson signed a, signed a five-year contract for $230 million, five years with the Cleveland Browns, including almost a $45 million signing bonus. I mean, that's why the Saints didn't get it. We probably didn't have them enough money to do, to do that. And then y'all have heard of Kanye West, right? That's Joshua's favorite back there. How much do you think Kanye's net worth is? $6.6 billion. The only song I know he's done is that one where he's um, the Chick-fil-A song I'm closed on Sunday. Other than that, I ain't got no clue what the man does, but it must be, he must be doing a lot for $6.6 billion. And then Tom Hanks. I felt sorry for Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks only has a net worth of $400 million. He's poor. The poor thing. He's really struggling out there. This is in no way condemning or criticizing entertainment in the sports industry. They've earned their income. And I, I, I really believe that if, if someone is earning their income in a, in a way that is, uh, that, that is not illegal and it's done in a legal way, then I think they're worthy of whatever that the, 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 the you know, society will support for that, whatever it is that they're doing. So I'm not criticizing them. But some of us, you know, we talk about these bigger celebrities, these bigger names, but on a more personal level... I believe some of us, we, we too have our own personal celebrities. And even as Christians, we can, we can have within the Christian circle or within the Christian community, we can, have, we can have celebrities. We might not label them as a celebrity, but the way we speak about them or talk about them would indicate that that's what we think. You know, men and women that we look up to. And personally, I have, I have men in, in, in my life or men in the, in the Christian circle that I, that I admire and and one of them is Pastor Carl. You know, I brag about Pastor Carl all the time. We're, we're, we're blessed to have him connected and depart of this ministry. My wife and I are blessed to have our paths crossed where, where God made it possible that we were in a place in Chalmette where we actually crossed paths. And I met Brother Carl, and we met Sister Dawn, and he's still a, a, a very big part of this ministry today. So um, he's someone I look up to. Billy Graham, I know a lot of you, if you're younger, you may not know Billy Graham, but you can go back and look at YouTube or study a lot of the, the things that he did. That, that he, he, was a, he was a warrior in his time. He was a, he was a preacher of the gospel. He had counsel and, uh, and, 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 and favor with presidents, with, with, uh, with kings, with different places all across the world. He was, he was amazing. And then Charles Stanley is someone I really, when I was younger, in my 20s, Charles Stanley used to do a... a program he might still do it now on the on the radio and I really had a just kind of had a connection with him for some reason just the way he taught the way the way he spoke and all 
But you know, social media has given a, a platform for instant stardom. You know, we have YouTube now, we have the blogs, we have Instagram, and it has created, you know, really instant celebrities, you know, for us, even again within the Christian within the Christian circles. And you know, many times I hear someone say, you know, you have got to hear so and so, whoever, whatever name, just fill in the blank. You've got to hear this guy speak. You've got to hear this message that this that this guy said. You gotta you gotta hear the way he or she can communicate or this, this, this word that they gave was unbelievable. And they're, you know, they're so anointed. They're so gifted. They're so talented. And, um, or maybe he or she said something or wrote something or taught something. And you've said, you know, I, they said something I've never heard before. They wrote something I've never, you know, read before or, or whatever. And we've coined the phrases, um, you know, best author and most, most popular artists, you know, and all of those different things. We've, We've even named shoes after athletes. There's a, there's a whole shoe line in Nike called Air Jordan. Makes probably millions, if not billions of dollars, you know, just, just in the shoe product, shoe product alone. And um, so we elevate people. And, and again, it's not, it's not necessarily wrong, but I think sometimes while we're doing it, we don't recognize what we're saying or what we're doing. Again, more so in the Christian arena or in, or in Christian circles. So... I have a question for you. Who is this man? Someone you have never seen, born in obscurity in an animal feeding trough, owned no property, had no fame or earthly esteem, never married, had no children, no inheritance, died at the age of 33. He signed no mega contracts, didn't write any books, though 66 were written about him. He was honorable, faithful, dedicated, trustworthy, loyal. He was a man of integrity, pure and perfect in every way. The Bible says in Philippians, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is that man. Jesus is the man, and I, I entitled this message, and it's going to be a three-part series, Jesus, Jesus is the greatest of all time. Jesus is the greatest of all time. He's the, he's the goat, and I, I'm sorry, Tom Brady, but you're not the greatest of all time. Jesus Christ is. He's the greatest of all time, and Jesus, see, Jesus is the man we should be bragging about. Jesus is the man that we should be elevating. He's the one that we should be telling others. I, I want to tell you about a man. He, I've never heard a man speak this way before. I've never heard a man teach this way before. Jesus is the man that we should be elevating and we should be exalting. See, it's not necessarily wrong to elevate men, those who are gifted and talented and used by God. However, when we elevate any man above Jesus, I have a problem with that. Those if we start bragging and boasting about men, earthly men, in a place or a position 
where we do so in a way that is higher or greater than the name of Jesus, then we have to check ourselves, I believe, because there's no one greater than the name of Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, God has united you with, Jesus, with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. And look at this translation. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. In Christ, we are put right with God and have been made holy and have been set free from sin. So as the scripture says, if people want to brag, they should brag only about the Lord. I love that. So if you want to start bragging and boasting about someone, let the first name that comes out of your mouth, let it be Jesus Christ. Let's, let's boast and brag about the name of Jesus. See, that's really what our boasting is for. It's not anything that Jesus has done, anything that, that, that we do as believers, Christ has done for us. And any giftings or talents or anything that God has done, has given us, it's all in turn given for Christ. It's not for our benefit. It's for the benefit of others that they might know Jesus. In other words, so everything that we have, everything that God has done for us is because of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's boast about him. Let's, let's brag about him. See, we should, we should always tell us, let me tell you about this man named Jesus. He was the greatest teacher. And if you read the Gospels, even the people who heard Jesus teach, they said that. It was recorded in the Gospels where they said, we've never heard a man speak this way before. Because he wasn't just a man. He was also God. And they did. They've never heard anyone talk like that before. He surrendered his life for you and me. His words are pure and true. So next time we are tempted to boast about a man, ask yourself, am I boasting more about men than I am about Jesus Christ? So as we approach Easter um, and the events that preceded Easter, you know, we celebrate Easter in two weeks. And, um, you know, I believe it's imperative for us to study the events that took place prior to the resurrection. You know, and a lot of times, you know, we, we do this, and I've said this before from this pulpit, you know, when you read in the scriptures, sometimes you've got to slow down. You've got to slow down, you know, because we, we can read a passage, you can read a chapter, and you can just, you know, maybe get one thing out of it. But if you slow down, you really glean and the details and what it is that, that's being communicated there in the scriptures. So I think really importantly as we approach Easter and the celebration of the resurrection, there's a lot of things that happened in the last week before Christ died. And uh, Lori, uh, the lessons that we've been doing in our life groups in the book of Mark, you know, Lori's been putting those together for us. And there's a, there's a quote that you have at the top of every lesson from um, Matthew Henry. And I forgot exactly, what, do you remember what? Uh, Yeah, great are the occurrences of that week. In other words, that was one of the things that he had said with his commentary. So here we have, you know, when you, when you read the gospel accounts, and all the gospels are different. Some of them mimic one another in the way they record the events that happened, and some of the gospels that record certain events that was only recorded by that writer. And uh, so it's important to study all of them. But there was a lot of things that happened in that final week when Christ made his 
his, uh, his approach to Jerusalem on the donkey, and then, uh, and then even as we, uh, as we approached the resurrection, there was a lot of things that took place. So, so I want to do for the next three weeks, and of course we'll, we'll conclude this with Easter, but to kind of slow down and just take some of the highlights of the events that took place right before Jesus Christ, you know, was, was, was resurrected. And I think, I think it's, it's, it's very telling of the remarkable man that Jesus was, you know, when you really slow down and, and study and look at this. So um, before we move on, you know, it's important for us to understand every single thing that Jesus did, he did it for you. Everything. Everything. Think about Jesus didn't have to die for himself. He, he was, Jesus, in other words, if, he, if he'd have stayed in heaven, Jesus would have remained the same. He didn't have to, there was no sacrifice needed for his sin. He was pure and without sin. Every single thing that Jesus Christ did, he did for you. Everything that he did, he, he, he did it for us. So that's important for us to remember that as we study this. So next time the devil tries to tell you that you're not important, that you're insignificant, remind the devil of what Jesus Christ did for you and tell him how important you are and special you are in God's eyes because Jesus was willing to do all these things because he loved you. I want to look at Matthew chapter 26 in verses 45 to 56. It says, Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put, back your, put, back, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled." And um, this is a remarkable passage if you really study the writing and the words that were recorded here. But just to kind of set the timing of what took place here in, in, this, in this passage, the same night that this passage occurred was the same night that Jesus shared Passover with his disciples. It was probably just a few hours before this event that Christ had shared, that shared, had shared Passover with his disciples, the, the Lord's Supper, the last supper that he shared with his disciples. Then we have this passage here that was recorded. Then the very next day, Jesus was crucified. So just to see how rapidly these events, these events are unfolding, 
But again, it's important for us to look at the details and the specifics in the events because it shares a lot, not only about who Jesus Christ was, but there's a lot of things that, that are written here in this passage and the other ones that, that we can identify with. In other words, we can identify with the people that are in this. And that, that, that I think, is extremely important for us, for us to understand. But, but look at this passage that we read here. In this passage, Jesus was betrayed, he was arrested, and he was deserted in a matter of minutes. All three of those things took place in just, just a matter of minutes. So the, those, I believe, were the three reasons this passage gives us that shows us that Jesus is the greatest of all time. And we're, we're, we're going to look at that here. In the first part of this, it says, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him. With him was a large, was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged the signal with him. The one I kissed is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. So the first thing we see here is the reason that Jesus was so, was so great is Jesus was betrayed. Yet in spite of his betrayal, Jesus marched on. Je Je Jesus marched on. Jesus, Jesus was betrayed See, Judas was one of the twelve. He wasn't just an ordinary man, just, a, just an ordinary man of the crowd. He was one of what we would consider as Christians, one of the elite. There was one of the twelve men that Jesus chose when he came to the earth to, 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 to promote and to push the gospel and to, to get the message of the gospel out. Judas was one of the twelve. So we have to ask ourselves, did Judas all of a sudden begin to dislike Jesus? In other words, was it just very night or this very moment when, 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 when all these things were coming to a climax for Christ, did Judas all of a sudden decide, you know what, I don't like this man? I don't believe that's the case. There's some indications that are given in, in, in the Gospels that indicate Judas's heart was probably wicked from the beginning. And one of those is, if you remember when Mary had anointed Jesus' feet with the perfume. I remember the, the, the passage where, where Mary poured, poured the, uh, the, the perfume on Jesus' body and the, the Bible says she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Do you remember what, what Judas said when she did that? The Bible says she became, Judas became indignant because he said that, that, that money that was spent on that expensive perfume was wasted and the money could have been given to the poor. But if you read what the writer said, Judas could have cared less about the poor Judas was worried about the money because the Bible says that Judas was in charge or, or in charge of the keeper of the, of the money bag and it says he used to help himself to the bag or help himself to the money. So that tells me he was a thief or at the very least he was, money was his, was his goal. So the Bible doesn't give us the details to share. Was, was that why Judas came to Christ because he wanted an, an open door? to try to gain financial gain or steal money or whatever. It really doesn't say, but i got to believe that Judas wasn't just all of a sudden deciding, I didn't like this man. I think there was some, there was some, there was some problems with him from the, from, from the get-go. So um, was Judas pretending to be a Christian? Was he just pretending to be a Christian? Whatever the reason is, Jesus remained undeterred from his actions, knowing beforehand what it was that Judas was going to do. 
And Jesus has even said that when they were taking the, the Passover, what did Jesus say? One of you sitting at this very table will betray me. So Jesus knew what it was that Judas was going to do. This demonstrated his unwavering commitment to, to, the, to, to the purpose and obedience to the Father that Jesus was going to the cross. There was that, Jesus was born to die. His main ambition and his only purpose in life, I got to get to the cross. And nothing is going to stop me. Nothing is going to deter me. I am going all the way and I'm going to be obedient to what my Father has asked me to do. But notice Judas betrayed him with a kiss. And if you study the Greek word for the word kiss here, it's, it's a very fervent and passionate uh, action that, that someone does. It's, it's extremely fervent and it's, and it's extremely passionate. So why, why a kiss? Well, again, the Bible really doesn't, doesn't understand that. Maybe Judas was feeling guilty for what he was about to do. Maybe he was trying to show the Lord that he really did want to love him in his heart. We, again, the Bible doesn't say, but it is, it, it is I think, Amazing that it was a kiss was the signal that he used. But you know, most of us think um, about the act that Judas did, and we think how horrible that was that Judas would betray Jesus Christ. One of, one of the disciples, one of the 12 men that Jesus picked would, would actually betray him. And we, we would say of ourselves, I would never betray Jesus. We, we would say that. We, we, we read the Gospels and we say, I would never be Judas. But you and I can, can never say that. We don't, we don't know what, we, have, what we, we would have done, how we would have acted. We, we don't know. We, we're looking back at the complete picture. These men were living this thing in real time. So we look at Judas's act and we say, that's so despicable. It's, 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 it's unbelievable that someone could actually betray, could betray Jesus Christ. But look at these two thoughts that I came across when I was studying this passage. The first one was this, professing Christ and living in sin makes two things out of us, a betrayer and a deceiver. We betray Christ and we deceive others. That hurts. Because if all of us were honest, that probably applies to everybody in this room, including myself. We may not have willingly said, Jesus, I'm going to betray you, like Judas was willing to take money and go say, I'm going to, I'm going to do this for you. But there's been actions in our lives, even as believers, where, where we can say in our hearts, we've betrayed the Lord. We, we've betrayed Jesus Christ by our actions. So am I like Judas when, as a Christian, I choose disobedience and also become a betrayer? Have I betrayed Christ? Have we, have, have we done that? See, we need to look at this and say, can I, do I identify with this, with, with, with this, with this man? Other translations in verse 50 say, that the, Jesus asked her a question. He says, friend, why have you come? In other words, when Judas, when Judas showed up, Jesus looked at Judas and he, he said, friend, why, why have you come? And really, if you think about it, that's a question Jesus asked every one of us when we come to him. Why have you come to me? Jesus would say, Jesus would say to every one of us here, friend, why have you come? And that's a question we all have to answer. Why did you come to Christ? What, what, what was the motive? What was the reason why you came? Was it because you were really committed and loyal? Were you really committed and loyal to him? Was it because you wanted to satisfy your conscience, to have enough religion to keep you from feeling guilty? Was it because you wanted to please family or friends? 
Was it because you were taught to come? Was it because all your friends were coming? Jesus would, I think, ask all of those, ask every one of us that question, friend, why have you come to me? And we have to answer that in our, in our hearts, that I, that I have come to Christ. I have come out of repentance and out of surrender and out of love for what Jesus has done for me, and I've given my heart and given my life to Jesus Christ. That's an answer. Every, that's a question every one of us have to answer. See, even when we fail and we fall and we, and we disobey, if we confess our sins, the Bible says that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are not condemned. The Bible says, we, therefore, we are not condemned, those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But Jesus, knowing that some of us who would, who would commit to following him would, 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 would betray him, Jesus, still knowing that that would happen, remained resolute and, and steadfast for the cross. He was, he was marching forward regardless that, that someone was still going to turn their back and disobey him and betray him. The next thing we see here in verses 50 to 53, it says, Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached out his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. So the next thing we see here is Jesus was arrested. Jesus was arrested. And this passage um, that we have here, I believe, was one of the most intriguing passages in all of Scripture. It says they, they seized Jesus and they arrested him. And uh, there was another, if you read the Gospel accounts, there was other opportunities for Jesus to be seized. There was even on one occasion where, on several occasions, where the, the Pharisees were so angry with Jesus that they wanted to grab him and to kill him, but the Bible says that Jesus slipped away. In other words, he was, he, he was somehow able to escape their grasp or to get away from them. And so we look at this event here in Matthew, right before Jesus was going was gonna to be crucified, and we say, well, this is the place and this is the time where he was arrested, but it was that Jesus is choosing, not at men's. In other words, it could, have, it could have happened in any moment, but it's just that Jesus said it happened this way that the scriptures, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. It was, it was at the right time and the right place that God, that God had already appointed it, appointed it to be. But consider this for a moment. It says that Jesus was arrested. Think about that. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the creator of the universe creator of the heavens and of the earth, creator of everything that is seen and unseen, creator of you and of me. This is, this is Jesus Christ standing right there before this, before this crowd of people, these men armed with clubs and swords, the Bible says. This is Jesus standing, and the Bible says that Jesus was arrested. I'm here to tell you, you can't arrest the Son of God. The Son of God has got to surrender himself to be arrested. Jesus, yes, the Bible, he was arrested, but, but the, you, cannot, you can't seize God. You can't seize the Son of Man. It's important for us to understand Jesus willingly stood there as the, as, as the Son of God. The, and what did he do? He surrendered himself and gave himself up. And he said, here you come. He goes, I've taught in the temple. I've taught in the courts 
all, all, all of these times, and you could have came at any time, but yet you come here in the middle of the night with, with clubs and swords, and you arrest me in the middle of the night. But again, he said that the scripture might be fulfilled. But let ponder that just for a moment. When you read the scriptures and you read the gospels, the Bible says that Jesus was arrested. You can't arrest God. Jesus willingly gave himself up for us. He willingly surrendered himself up for you and me. That's amazing when I read that. That is so significant. See, that's what qualifies Jesus as the greatest of all time. That Jesus was willing was willingly lay his life down in spite of who he was. Think about the restraint and the self-control and the humility that Christ had to, had, had to have in that moment to do that. See, if that was you and I, we wouldn't have been able to say, I can, if I wanted to, I could get out of this. Because I can tell you, if, we, if there was a way that you and I was in that situation that we could have escaped, guess what we would have done? We would have ran. We would have done whatever it was we could, but see, we wouldn't have been able, we, but Jesus was. And what, and, and what did Jesus tell him? It, it says one of the men with Jesus took out his sword and, and sliced the ear off of the, of, the, of, the man, of the man that was there, the guard or whatever. We know who that man was. It was Peter. Another gospel says, says that, that, that it was Peter. This and what, what did Jesus tell, tell him? He says, put away your sword. And Jesus said, don't you, don't you know that if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels and God would have them at my disposal immediately? See, this was the Son of God. 12 legions of angels, I studied this. One legion is 6,000. So what would 12 be? 72,000 for those math wizards out there. And when I was studying this, and I didn't go all the way into the weeds with this, but the guy that did this, the, 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 the uh, commentary on this that talked about the legions, he was talking about the other places in the Bible where angels were mentioned and even where angels were presented. And he was drawing the analogy from like what one or two angels did in the Bible. So what he was saying is in comparison, and he was given the numbers, like if there was one angel came and what we know like a Sodom and Gomorrah and, and they destroyed the cities or whatever, but he was given the comparison of one angel was capable of destroying, say, 100,000 men. Just as an example, what, what could 72,000 angels do? So, so again, you've got to get the picture here. You've got to get this. See, this is Jesus' approach to, to the resurrection. And we celebrate the resurrection and we're all excited on Easter Sunday and all those things. But these are the events that led up for Christ to get, to get to the tomb, to get to the resurrection. This is the Son of God. The Bible says this is God himself in the flesh standing on the earth. And the Bible says that Jesus willingly gave himself up to these men and allowed himself to be taken. And why did he do it? For you and for me. Because he knew if he could get to that cross and he was willing to sacrifice himself and die for us, then you and I, just as, we, just as Antoine said, we could be free and we could be forgiven of our sin. Not just once, but forever. For the sins of the world, the Bible says. See, that ought to make us shout in here. You know, we talk about, well, man, y'all get, get to it. We don't, we, don't, we don't get excited enough in this place. There should be shouting and dancing and jumping and clapping in here. Amen. That the Son of God was willing to humble himself, the Bible says, and become a man. To walk on the earth among men. And they have such restraint. Imagine the restraint and discipline and self-control you have to have as God to allow men to arrest you. Think about that for a moment. See, we, we look at Jesus and Jesus was the man 
but he was, all, he was the God-man. He was God and he was man. He exercised self-control that you and I might be where we are today, forgiven and free. Thank you, Jesus. See, thank you, Jesus. So you say, well, why do you raise your hands? Because Jesus Christ died for me. Why do you shout? Because Jesus Christ was willing to suffer for me. Why, why are you so excited? Because someone that was without sin was willing to become sin for me. That's why we get so excited in here. It's not because we're charismatic, we're Pentecostal, we're spirit-filled. Like it's because of what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. See, in spirit and in truth. That's the truth. So we should be shouting. There should be excitement. You know, we raise our hands to do all those things. It's what Jesus did for us. It's not, well, that's what we do. No, that's what Christians do. We get excited. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Christ came, says he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. We sing, worthy is the lamb. Who's the lamb? Why, why we sing that song? Why is he worthy? Because he was allowing himself as the lamb of God to be slaughtered, to be killed, to be tortured, to be crucified, that we might be forgiven. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's an exchange. That's a substitute. That's a redeemer. That's a, that's a per God, per he purchased our salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, we get excited about the resurrection, as we should, because that his resurrection was our resurrection. Because he lives, we too shall live. But let's look at what happened for him to get there. The Son of God allowed himself to be arrested. So this is the man I want to talk about. Y'all can brag about Tom Brady and Kanye West and all these other figures and celebrities. I want to start bragging about Jesus. You know, next time you open up your mouth, and yeah, the, like again, I've, you know, when I, I've mentioned Charles Stanley before, but I try to be reserved. I try to, in other words, when you speak of a man, speak of them as a man. They're men. They're flesh. They're no different than you and I. No matter what they've accomplished, what they've done, you know, whatever God has done, they're still a man. But the one I want to brag about is Jesus. I want to brag about Jesus. That's the man. He's the greatest of all time. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus did. That's the, that's the man we need to brag about. See, Jesus, what we're saying, you, you're worthy of it all. Worthy, the Bible says, worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the earth. Why is he worthy? He's worthy because he was, he was allowing himself to become a lamb, to become a sacrifice, to, to die for us in our place. He's worthy. And he was the only one, as Antoine said, he's the only one that qualified. See, no one else qualified but Jesus. It had to be a perfect, a perfect sinless lamb, a spotless lamb, the Bible says. Only Jesus Christ met the qualifications. Only Jesus could satisfy God's requirements for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you that one man, the only man that qualified, came and did it. Thank you, Jesus. See, we need to remind ourselves. You know, Ray, as we were worshiping, Ray, in the beginning you said we need to stir ourselves. We've got to stir ourselves, church. You've got to remind yourself. See, 
The world is oppressive. The world is oppressive. It, it, it oppresses us. It, it tries to defeat us. It tries to push us down and tell us we're quirks, we're crazy, we're stupid, we're dumb, we're fanatics. No, we're not. We're saved. We're born again. We got eternal life. What, what, like Antoine said when dependent, what are we afraid of? We need to get excited. If you can't get excited in this place, we ain't going to get excited nowhere. I'll raise my hands at home. We can raise our hands in the building. Raise your hands at home. You read a scripture, some God plants something in your spirit, but also lift your hands up. Fall on your knees. Jesus, thank you. Get excited. It's not a fake excitement. It's real. It's true. In spirit and in truth. These things are true. That, or, or, are they? In your life, you have the, is, it, is it a religion? This ain't religion, it's life. It's life or death, literally. So when we discover that we're saved from death and we've been given eternal life, then we're jumping and shouting, and all of a sudden we get excited about Jesus. See, we're excited about that. But the world says, be quiet, shut up, don't talk, don't sing, don't dance, don't do all the things. No! we got to stir ourselves. Fan the flames, the Bible says. Fan the flames. That's what we're doing. During the week, with small groups, we're fanning the flames. We're encouraging ourselves. It's the, the church should be excited in this last hour. It's a time of great enthusiasm and excitement for what God has done for us. And then God wants us to take this same excitement that he's done for us and do what? Go, go tell somebody else. Go share with someone else what Jesus did. Go tell someone that this man came to earth from heaven, perfect, and allowed himself to be arrested. For you, tell him. Say, he did it for you, that you might be forgiven. That, see, that's, that's, that's the goat. That's the greatest of all time. And I don't mean that in disrespect. I was careful when I did this. I didn't want to look like I was mimicking or making fun when I, when I said that phrase. I meant that. It, we, we, we phrase that phrase, the, the, the greatest of all time. And I know for Tom Brady, they're, they're putting it in the context of him as a, as, a, as a quarterback. And maybe he was the greatest of all time. Drew Brees might have been the greatest of all time. But, but in the context of the, of the phrase of what it means, Jesus is the greatest of all time. He's the greatest man that ever walked the earth that, or, or ever will. See, but he don't get the recognition. He don't get the fame. He was humble. See, Jesus came as a lamb, but when he comes back, he's coming back as a king. Amen. See, and when Jesus came the first time, a lot of people didn't recognize who he was, but the Bible says when Jesus comes back the second time, everybody's going to know who he is. Yes. Everybody's going to know who he, who he is, that he is king, that he is Lord. And the Bible says even if they don't do it, every knee and every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And then in verse 55, it says, in, the, in, the, in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, I'm leading a rebellion, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this is all taking place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all, look at this, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. See, Jesus was deserted. Here, when he needed his disciples the most, what did they do? They left. 
and Peter, James, and John, who he took with him when he was praying, what did they do? They fell asleep. <laughs> this is when Jesus needed them the most. And the Bible says all the disciples. Now we know Peter, and Peter says he did it from a distance, but what it is that Peter followed from a distance as Christ was being led to the, to the priest's house. There was a courtyard evidently where the, where the high priest was. And Peter, uh, so I got to think that even then there was fear. See, Peter pulled out his sword. You know why? Because Peter thought that guess who was going to be right behind him? Jesus. <laughs> there was Peter thought, if I grab the sword, I ain't got nothing to worry about. I, I got Jesus standing right here. He's the son of God, right? He's the Messiah. He's, he's, he's got my back. And all of a sudden, when Jesus said, when Jesus just stood there and told Peter, put your sword down, Jesus was like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so he was afraid. Again, we can't criticize Peter. We, we, we'd have been the same way. We'd have, done, we, we'd have done the same thing. So when they needed the most, we see all of the disciples left him, but we can't point the finger of criticism. What, what do we say? Hindsight is twenty twenty. So we got, we got the whole Bible. We got hindsight right here. I got twenty twenty. They didn't have twenty twenty. They might have had five five or whatever that is. They didn't have the whole thing. They were, li they were literally living it in real time. Like real time. Is, is this... They still didn't know. And even after Jesus was, was crucified, we know they didn't believe who he was because none of them were waiting for him to be, to be resurrected. And then when the ones did hear that didn't see that he was resurrected, what did they say? I don't believe it. What do you mean you don't believe it? I just I saw him. So we know they weren't expecting it. They, they weren't anticipating that. But we have the complete picture. Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. But consider this sobering reminder. Jesus was rejected when he arrived to the earth. Do you know that they tried to kill Jesus? They tried to kill Jesus after he was born. Remember? Before he, before, after he was born, they tried to kill him. He was rejected. The Bible says he came unto his own. Who was his own? It was the Jews. The Bible says he came unto his own, but what? His own rejected him. He was rejected when he came to earth. Jesus was rejected when he was arrested. The time when he really needed the biggest defense, the biggest support, he was rejected. And look, look at this. Jesus is still rejected today. After, in other words, Christ knew. He, think about this. Jesus knew that if he did what the Father asked him to do, if he was obedient as the Father asked him to do and, the, and to go to the cross, to suffer the way Christ suffered, for, and being without sin, he, he was spotless, the Bible says, he was without sin, he did all of this for you and for me. Jesus knew that if he did that, most people were going to reject him. Yeah, guess what? He still did it anyway. Think about that. You and I, we, we'd have, I would have never done that. We, we, we would have never done that. But what was the compelling force behind the whole, move, behind the whole act? What was, it, what was that that was compelling the whole thing? Love. For God... So love the world, knowing that he was going to be rejected. As soon as he got to the earth, he was rejected. He, 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 he was reject, he's rejected today. People don't want to hear the name Jesus. Don't say Jesus. You're some kind of freak. You're a nutcase. You, there's something wrong with you. Don't, don't say Jesus. You can say religion. You can say God. You can say church. But don't say the name Jesus. There's something wrong with you. He's rejected even today. Yet the Bible says he was still willing to go and to be arrested, and to surrender. He surrendered himself on his timetable. 
and gave himself up willingly, the Bible says, that we might be free and forgiven. What an exchange. 